Slam! I go first as I move the bing forward one point. My opponent considers his move, then he reaches out and moves his zu piece one point forward, making a bang noise as the piece hits the board. I look at my side of the board, and one of his xiang pieces is exposed, because it can't cross the han jie chu he boundary to get to my side of the board. I grab my pao piece, move this piece over his xiang piece, flying over it and placing my pao on the other side of his xiang piece. As a result, I take his xiang with this move. Listeners are probably wondering, what the heck am I rambling on about? Zu, Bing, Pao, Han Jie, Chu He. What on earth is going on? Well, that was some commentary of a very famous Chinese board game, and will be the focus of today's episode. G'day everyone, I'm your host Stephen, and welcome to another episode of the Bamboo History Podcast. For those of you who are new, welcome! The Bamboo History Podcast is a podcast that focuses on Chinese and East Asian history. If you like this type of content, please subscribe to my podcast to keep up to date with my latest episodes and to also tune in to my existing ones. I also have an Instagram too, at Bamboo History Podcast, which features visual content for my episodes, teasers, and extra historical content that aren't podcast episodes. Please follow my Instagram too. Thanks. To all my existing listeners, once again, thank you all so much for your continued support and following me on this journey. Alright, now let's get straight into it. Now, you're all probably wondering what the Chinese board game I'm going to talk about today is going to be. The game is... Drumroll... Monopoly! (laughs) Nah, I'm just joking. The Chinese board game I'm going to talk about today is commonly known around the world as Chinese chess, but the actual name, and the Chinese name for this game, is known as Xiangqi. Xiangqi is spelt X-I-A-N-G-Q-I. Xiangqi is widely played in China, ethnic Chinese communities across the world, and also in Vietnam, where it's known as Ke Tung, and is spelt C-O- T-U-O-N-G. Apologies to anyone who speaks Vietnamese, that was probably a very bad pronunciation. (sighs) According to data published by the 2019 Xiangqi White Paper, there were 1.2 billion users registered on Tiantian Xiangqi, an official Xiangqi website. That's in comparison with Western chess players, where a report published by Aegon, A-G-O-N, in 2012 stated that 605 million adults play chess regularly. 1.2 billion versus 605 million? No wonder some people say that Xiangqi is the most popular board game in the world, and that it's even more popular than Western chess. But upon closer look at the stats, it's actually evident that Western chess is way more popular according to the same white paper. Because whilst 1.2 billion users are registered to play Xiangqi, in reality, the number of regular Xiangqi players is only 6.82 million. This figure looks tiny compared to the 605 million Western chess players, which has most likely increased in the 10 years since 2012 when the AGON Aegon report was published. Regardless, 
I wanted to give you these stats to show you how popular Shang-Chi is, especially considering that the game is very much a Chinese game, rather than an international game like Western chess. Before I begin my rant on the history of Shang-Chi, I wanted to briefly talk about the rules of the game and how you play. I'll post on my Instagram of a Shang-Chi board and its pieces, so it can help you all understand what I'm about to explain. Shang-Chi is played on a board 9 lines wide and 10 lines long. On each side of the board, against the back edge, is a region called the Gong or Palace. Gong is spelt G-O-N-G, which is marked in 3 by 3 lines, with 4 diagonal lines that extend outwards. There are 32 Shang-Chi pieces in total, and each person gets 16 pieces. And each set of the pieces is carved with the name of the piece in either red and, usually black, ink. It's similar to chess where you have different coloured pieces in black and in white. The 9 vertical and 10 horizontal lines obviously crisscross one another to form squares. But whilst chess pieces are placed on the squares, Shang-Chi pieces are placed on the points where the lines intersect. In the middle of the board is a rectangular blank space that goes across the board and separates the board into two sections. This blank space, or boundary, is called Han Jie and Chu He, which means the border of the Han and the river of the Chu, respectively. Han Jie is spelt H-A-N-J-I-E, and Chu He is spelt C-H-U-H-E. This boundary is important as two of the Xiangqi pieces cannot cross this boundary to go to the other side of the board. More on that later. Now let's talk about the different pieces in Xiangqi and how they operate. In the middle of the back row is the most important piece. This piece is called the Shui if you're on the red side, or Jiang if you're on the black side. Shui is spelt S-H-U-A-I, and Jiang is spelt J-I-A-N-G. In English, both Jiang and Shui mean general, as in general of an army, and this piece is equal to the king in chess, because it is the leader. The Shui, or the Jiang, can move only one point in any direction, but they can only move within the Gong or palace and cannot venture outside of it. On either side of the Jiang or Shui are the pieces called Shi, spelt S-H-I. Shi in Chinese means guards, but can also mean advisors, ministers or assistants, and can be seen as the attendants of the leader, i.e. the Jiang or Shui. The Shi pieces can only move diagonally, and similar to the Jiang or Shui, can only move within the Gong or palace at the back of the board. On either side of the shi pieces are two pieces called the xiang, spelt X-I-A-N-G. Xiang means elephant in Chinese, and they are positioned outside of the gong or palace on the board. The xiang pieces can only move diagonally by two points, and cannot cross the han jie chu he boundary to go to the other side of the board. Because of this, they are really restricted in their movements, and blocking their movements is known in Chinese as Sai Xiang Yan, or in English, blocking the elephant's eye. On either side of the Xiang pieces are two pieces called Ma, 
spelt M-A. Ma means horse in Chinese and operates like the horse in Western chess. The Ma pieces can only move one space vertically or horizontally, then afterwards can only move one space outwards diagonally. Unlike the Xiang piece, the Ma piece can move across the Hanjie Chuhe boundary and on to the other side of the board. The last two pieces of the back row at the very end of the board are called Che, Che spelled C-H-E, and Che means chariot in Chinese. The Che pieces operate like the rook in Western chess, and can move in a straight line vertically or horizontally however far as they want. Also, like the Ma piece, the Che piece can also cross the boundary to get to the other side of the board. To summarise, in order from left to right, the back row consists of the following pieces. Che, the chariot. Ma, the horse. Xiang, the elephant. Shi, the guard, attendant, advisor or assistant, whatever you want to call it. And Shrai, or Jiang, the general of the army and the leader. In front of the back row pieces are the soldier and cannon pieces. There are five soldier pieces per side which are spaced evenly across the board and placed two points behind the Hanjie Chuhe boundary. The pieces are named in Chinese as either Bing, spelt B-I-N-G, if you're on the red side, or Zhu, spelt Z-U, if you're on the black side. Both Bing and Zhu mean soldier in English and are equivalent to the pawn in Western chess. Similar to the pawn, they cannot move backwards and can only move one point forward each move. They can also cross the boundary to the other side, and once they do, they can also move one space to the left or to the right of them as well. The last piece are the cannons, which are called pao in Chinese. Pao, spelt P-A-O. There are two pao pieces, and they are positioned one row behind the soldier pieces. The pao pieces also move like the che chariot pieces, i.e., they can move horizontally and vertically in a straight line however they like. However, in order to take an opponent piece, the pole must hop, must hop, or jump over that piece and land on the other side. Similar, I guess, to the trajectory of a cannonball. The aim of the game is to trap the leader, i.e. the jiang or shrai piece so it cannot move without being captured. This is like checkmate in chess. So yeah, that was just a basic intro on the game of Xiangqi and how it's played. Equipped with this knowledge, you have now taken your first step to becoming a grandmaster of this game. I mean, this game sounds heaps fun already, right? Okay, now all of you are probably dying to hear the origins and history of this amazing game. So without further ado, let's dive into the history, shall we? There are many different theories on how and when Xiangqi originated. The origins of Xiangqi have often been disputed. The first theory was that Xiangqi originated from India. Some historians have said that the common ancestor of not just Xiangqi, but other chess-related board games like Jangi, Shogi, and Western chess came from an Indian board game called Chaturanga. Chaturanga originated in the 6th century and has similar pieces to Xiangqi. Chaturanga 
has all the paces that Shangqi has except for the pal or cannon pace. And it was said that Indians had passed the chaturanga on to the Muslims, who then passed it on to the Chinese. I believe two factors can support this theory. One, the Shang elephant pace in the board game is weird because elephants weren't a common animal used for warfare in China. However, they were a common animal used for warfare in India. And two, the Shangqi we see today originated hundreds of years after Chaturanga. However, the second and third theories suggest that Shangqi was a native Chinese creation. The second theory believes that the features of Shangqi are unmistakably Chinese and nothing else. For example, as early as the Warring States period of China, in the 3rd century BCE, the leader of the state of Qi called Lord Mengcheng was believed to have loved playing Xiangqi. Mengcheng is spelt M-E-N-G-C-H-A-N-G. The text Shuoyuan, spelt S-H-U-O-Y-U-A-N, mentions that the Lord Mengcheng played a game called Xiangqi but does not specify what this game was like. The famous poet Chu Yuan, who also lived in the 3rd century BCE, and if you recall, was in one of my episodes about the famous Duanwu festival. Chu Yuan references a game called Xiangqi in one of his poems, but also doesn't specify what exactly this game is and whether it is like the modern Xiangqi we play today. The third theory was that Xiangqi was derived from a more ancient Chinese game called Liu Bo, Liu Bo spelt L-I-U-B-O. Liu Bo was a mysterious ancient Chinese board game that was thought to have originated in the Xia Dynasty in the 17th century BCE and was popularized during the Han Dynasty between the 2nd century BCE to the 2nd century CE, where Liu Bo game boards have been excavated from Han Dynasty tombs. However, it seems as if Liu Bo disappeared by the Tang Dynasty during the 7th to 10th centuries when the game was replaced with games such as Wei Qi, spelt W-E-I-Q-I, otherwise known as the game Go, and also Xiangqi. Hence, it is hard to know how connected Liu Bo was with modern Xiangqi. For those of you who want to know more about the game Liu Bo, I'm going to post an extended cut sometime in the near future where I'll talk a bit more about the game. It won't be that long, so stay tuned for that if you want to hear about it. Whilst these theories make us really confused on how Xiangqi originated, we do know that from the 6th century onwards, we have more concrete evidence of references to modern-day Xiangqi. The earliest confirmed reference to what we know as modern-day Xiangqi was in a book called Xiangjing, spelt X-I-A-N-G-J-I-N-G which was written by the Emperor Wu of the Northern Zhou Dynasty in the year 569. The Xiangjing makes a reference to the game of Xiangxi, which is spelt X-I-A-N-G-X-I, which is the original name for Xiangqi, and Xiangxi literally means elephant show or elephant game. The Song Dynasty, hundreds of years later, saw further popularising of Xiangqi as a board game played by the common people, as opposed to Wei Qi or Go, which was primarily played 
by aristocrats and elite scholars. An 11th century Song dynasty philosopher called Cheng Hao, spelt C-H-E-N-G-H-A-O, wrote a poem about this game, where he cited in his poem that, in Chinese, <clears throat> which I've had a go translating this into English and roughly means, playing Xiangqi can help one command armies in battle. This suggests that Xiangqi originated as a means to help military people understand warfare and battle strategies, which is why all the pieces in Xiangqi are somewhat related to the military. For example, soldiers, cannons and chariots, and even the elephants and horses. From the Tang dynasty onwards, the emperor employed people called Qi Dai Zhao, spelt Q-I-D-A-I-Z-H-A-O, although you'd probably never be able to search this up in English, because I tried. Qi Dai Zhao were basically board games masters that were recruited into the palace to play various board games with the emperor for his or her entertainment. I guess a loose translation for Qi Dai Zhao in English would be a palace games master or a board games attendant to the emperor. Imagine getting paid just to play board games with the emperor. Bruh. I'd do it. It Sounds fully hectic. Playing games for money? Although I probably think you'd have to make the Emperor win a few games, you know, just in case they get angry and kill you. I don't know. Sounds like a fun job. It was recorded that during the Southern Song Dynasty, the second half of the Song Dynasty, that lasted between the 12th and the 13th centuries, over half of these Qi Dai Zhao Palace Games Masters were Xiangqi players. Because the Qi Dai Zhao Games Masters were commoners, the fact that over half of them were Xiangqi players alone meant that by the Southern Song period, Xiangqi was popular amongst the common population in China. In fact, the version of Xiangqi that was played during the Southern Song Dynasty is the version that's being played in modern times. How do I know this? Because I'm a historian, but duh. <laughs> no, because a Yuan Dynasty encyclopedia called the Shiling Guangji, spelt S H I L I N G U A N G J I, illustrates a Xiangqi game being played during the Southern Song Dynasty, and it looks exactly the same as the modern day version. I will post this image on Instagram so you can all have a better look. Xiangqi really took off, as with most aspects of Chinese culture we see in the modern day, during the Qing Dynasty. The Qing Dynasty was China's last imperial dynasty that ruled between the 17th to the early 20th century. There are many records during the Qing Dynasty that talk about different schools of Xiangqi and also the lives of some of these so-called Xiangqi Grand Masters. For example, there was a Grand Master called Xu Xingyou. His name is spelt X-U-X-I-N-G-Y-O-U, who would journey across China, defeating local Xiangqi Masters and becoming renowned as a fearsome player. However, he ended his career after he was defeated by a young man named Cheng Lanru, name spelt C-H-E-N-G-L-A-N-R-U. 
after which Xu Xingyou retired from Xiangqi and spent the remainder of his years writing texts on the strategies of Xiangqi. Cheng Lanru, the young man who defeated Xu Xingyou, would later become a famous Xiangqi and Weiqi player himself, and his method of play formed one of the four famous schools of Xiangqi during the 1700s in the Qing dynasty. This is like an ancient Chinese version of the Queen's Gambit, where a young person rises up and defeats the old grandmaster to take over the title. If you haven't watched Queen's Gambit, watch it. It's bloody amazing. From there, Xiangqi has continued to increase in popularity all the way up to today where I'm recording this podcast. Nowadays, if you walk around the streets of China and Vietnam, you'll most likely see large groups of people, usually elderly men, sitting around tables playing Xiangqi. Xiangqi, like chess, also has tournaments and playing leagues, all over the world in fact, not just Asia. You can also have a go at beating the AI on the computer as well, because you can also play Xiangqi online, just like chess. Oh yeah, and also, like chess, the AI for Xiangqi is also bloody hard to defeat as well. And for the record, I've never been able to defeat the AI in, in Xiangqi, or chess for that matter. Whew, so yeah, that's it. That's the end of the story of the explanation and origins of Xiangqi, or Chinese chess. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now that you know a bit more about this game, I think it's a great idea that you go out now and play it, and maybe challenge a grandmaster while you're at it. But before you go out and start playing Shang-Chi, more importantly, please remember to subscribe to my podcast to stay on top of my latest episodes, as well as to catch up on my existing content. I also have an Instagram too, at Bamboo History Podcast, that features visual content for my episodes, teasers, and extra history that aren't podcast episodes. So please check out and follow my Instagram too. Thanks. I appreciate all your support, so I encourage all of you to either leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, YouTube, or wherever else you're tuning in from. They'll mean a lot to me, and hopefully they're good reviews. Please reach out to me as well with any comments or topic suggestions. You can do so by DMing me on Instagram or emailing me. My contact details will be in the description box below. Okay, got to go now. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your day or evening, and I'll see you all next time on the Bamboo History Podcast. Bye for now.